You're listening to Embarrassing Family, where we share our weirdest, wackiest, and wildest family stories. Hello, everyone. Today, as our guest, we have Rena Friedman Watts. She is an entrepreneur, podcaster, mom of four kids, wife, coach, community grower, and storytelling junkie. So, Rena, you were on the Jerry Springer show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you did there? Well, I started off as an intern, and it was my first job out of college. And I started off taking the guests all around Chicago. Um, I had a beeper. I was given petty cash, and I kind of learned Chicago alongside them. So it was fun for all of us. <laughs> nice. Sounds like an interesting first job out of college. Yeah. And then I learned how to get on the phone and book guests and pitch stories and you know, work with the guests backstage and in the green rooms and talk them into doing crazy things on national television. I was fortunate enough to get to go to Jamaica, which was really fun. And oh, wow. That was um, a live shoot. So uh, the behind the scenes of that was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Especially in your 20s. I don't know if I could do that now, but um, lots of sleepless nights and talking people into still wanting to do the show when they found the other half of their story in Chicago or elsewhere. <laughs> Seems like you spent a lot of time with uh, with the guests. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really where my love of finding a good story and interesting guests began, because we were getting all kinds of crazy ideas from who called into the show. So um, I feel like even now I'm trying to speak to some of those themes. You know, tonight I spoke to a guy who, you know, didn't have an arm. Um, I've kept in touch with a girl who was a midget and she was dating um, somebody. I don't even know if I, maybe I should call her a little person now, but she's a little person. She's married to somebody or now getting divorced from somebody who's not a little person. Um, we were pregnant at the same time. We've kept in touch for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I, I really like people that have unconventional stories. Um, I'm drawn to that. Also, I worked at an NPR station in college, and I would always try to find stories on the newswire that were out of the ordinary. And I worked in court TV I was combing through hundreds of cases in the small claims case file to try to find something that wasn't, you know, over property damage. <laughs> awesome. Um, so do you have any, uh, I guess you've met some uh, very uh, dysfunctional families on Jerry Springer. You know, I started to feel like that that was normal after a while. It's funny, but the more and more that you see it and hear it, you just, it, you just think that everyone has that story. So after hearing and seeing it for a couple of years, I was like, hmm, you know, I think I'm ready to work on some other content and um, more redeeming content. And it's funny, I actually spent a lot of time defending that role. Like when I moved from Chicago to LA, I was like, it really is quality content, you know, <laughs> like, um, we go through the same process of casting people that you do. Um, but yeah, I was met with people telling me it was like working in the porn industry or it's smut television. You know, there are some shows that I felt like were biased towards me even working there at all. Yeah, I guess it definitely, you know, carries kind of a kind of a stigma with it. Yeah. 
but now I'm proud of it. And I feel like it's really what launched my career. It got me into the producer, the producers guild of America. I didn't even realize how fortunate of an opportunity it was until later, you know, cause it was the first job I landed. So it just seemed like, Oh wow, it's easy to do, you know? <laughs> right. But not so easy to do. And I definitely figured that out when I moved to LA and then tried to get another producer job. I was like, Oh wow, I have to start as an executive assistant after I was making 80 K a year. <laughs> really stinks. Yeah. Well, I learned a different side of the business. I ended up working for some very seasoned producers who have now actually interviewed and have been on my show, the Kyoto Brothers. They gave me my first shot when I moved to LA and I was an executive assistant to them on and off for a couple of years and worked as a production coordinator on a pretty large feature presentation that they did, Team America, with Paramount. And that was cool. Because Is that with the puppets? Yeah, they are the puppet producers. They recently just um, did a stop motion animation film on Netflix, um, Alien Christmas. And that was a book. Um, previously, they, they worked on Elf. They did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, they've done so many things. But that was the first thing I think that they got to Netflix. And it took them years to get there. So it's a slog. It definitely is, you know, and it's constantly thinking outside the box and collaborating with people. And it's a relationship game. And it's being willing to cut down your script or reinvent your script or yeah. take a lot of direction from others. So awesome. Uh, do you have any interesting stories like working with guests or like working with like, you know, families? Working with guests, working with families? Well, I would say that families were a big element of the show. Really, the bread and butter of that show was cheating. So, Oy. yeah, yeah I, I guess it so. Was, yeah. It was, you know, married couples cheating, unmarried couples cheating, um, hate your mates were also could be really fiery. So I had one story that we ended up taking with us to Jamaica because they did so good. But it was a mom that hated her daughter's boyfriend. And when she told me that she hated her daughter's boyfriend, I don't think I really understood the degree to which she hated him. Because that mother and daughter just went at it. I mean, it was really intense. And i it's funny now looking back, oh my God, almost 20 years later, but... You know, now I'm a mom and now I'm married, you know, 13, 14 years. And I'm like, I can't believe that people that were, you know, 13 years in, you know, with one, two, three, four kids, however many were doing what they said they were doing on that show. I'm like, wow, that must have been so hard on their families, like really detrimental I don't know how you get through something like that. Or, yeah, I'm like, I would never want to do that. <laughs> so what exactly happened? Where the, the mom hated the daughter's boyfriend? Was she like... Oh, just screaming matches, fighting. I mean, I... Yeah, there, there was one girl who was in an interracial relationship, too. And then, you know, his parents hated her. And there was real hate there. I mean, real hate. You know, not just it wasn't us just winding them up and saying, hey, call her this word. Uh, they really felt that and they were OK saying it. And what was really crazy, though, is like, you know, if you don't keep your cool and you scream and yell back, then how are you any different than them? Yeah. So that was hard. 
Um, there definitely is a good guy, bad guy play on the show where, you know, you want to feel sorry for the one that's being cheated on, or you want to feel sorry for the one that's being hated. And if those roles switch, then it kind of messes up the story. (laughs) Right. You want to have like your good guys and your bad guys. You want to keep it simple. Yeah. And if you change from being the good guy into the bad guy, then how sorry do we feel for you? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I learned some of that. Yeah. Did you have any other questions as far as like the family element? Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess you saw a lot of, you know, like parents and siblings, like, like, was that like the most common thing you saw? Like parents or, I mean, sorry, parents or children, like, you know, fighting each other where they're like, you know, siblings where they're like different kind of. I mean, there were siblings sleeping with the same guy or there was that, or there were even half siblings sleeping with each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was all kinds of interesting relationship dynamics. There was a conjoined twin who wanted to go out on a date. I mean, what's that look like? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where were they conjoined? At the Is head. Like at the waist? At the head. Oh, at the head. Oy. I don't know how many people would want to date a person conjoined at the head. That's a, it's very, um, challenging. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, one said she wore headphones uh, <laughs> while the other one was on the date, but, uh, I don't know how that would work well. And I don't know how they would double date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's like the ultimate third wheel, you know, it literally, And one was walking and the other one was on wheels. Like she was kind of had this seat with wheels attached where she kind of dragged the other one. So, yeah, I should look them up and see how they're doing. That would be crazy to reconnect with them. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be weird if they were like married or like had kids, you know. I don't think they ever did. But um, they did, I think when I knew them, they were in their 30s, which is just amazing, too, yeah. that they were never separated and and they lived their life that way. Yeah, I know. It's like, I, I can't stand like being around most people for like a few hours, let alone like literally all the time. Yeah, it would definitely make life much harder. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely give them a lot of credit. I wonder if they ever get sick of each other. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. Or if they like try to fight each other or anything like that. I mean, oh my God, you have to have a lot of patience. And yeah, I cannot imagine that. And those weren't really the kinds of questions we were asking, <laughs> but I would like to ask those now. It wasn't really a show about compassion. That's true. Yeah. There were no happy endings. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was one thing that we used to say to our guests is, uh, this isn't the Oprah show. No, <laughs> no, no kumbayas at the end of this. <laughs> no hugs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things never end well here, so know what you're no getting lessons. into. It, well, Jerry did have a final thought at the end of the show. Oh, that's true, yeah. But I don't know how many people really... Took that to heart. Exactly. <laughs> to what degree was it staged or were like all the fights, all like the cursing and all that drama was that like 100% real or was there like what I usually say to that question and that is the number one question that everyone who worked on the show gets I usually say that it is a lot easier to bring a real story than one that's not because if 
if it's really going on, you do not have to push them very far in order to have their story unfold. So in the time that I was there, I really aimed to only bring real stories because then you don't really have to make anything up. (laughs) Yeah, truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stories that people called in with, like, you just can't make them up. Like, how'd you go about finding these people? Did you, like, actively search for them? Or did they, like, you know, call up in the show and say, hey, we want to do this? Yeah, they, they, that was during the time of 1-800-96-JERRY, where people mainly called into the 800 number. Now, I think casting is a whole lot different, you know? Um, It's probably all via the web and social media. That wasn't really being utilized. It started to trinkle in when I was leaving, but... Um, we were like, is anybody actually gonna message us to be on through email like that? Yeah, that was a new thing. And now I'm sure it's all that way. I mean, I've, yeah. I've worked in casting on other shows now. And, you know, you can just go to YouTube to find talent, undiscovered talent and really talented people. There's so many talented people on on YouTube. So I have even found guests for my own show, you know, in these Facebook groups, like how we connected or um, on Clubhouse, people are openly venting everywhere. And if there's a story that you connect to, it's very easy to connect with people and say, hey, let's have a further conversation about that. Yeah, that's true. What what was uh, Jerry Springer like? How was what was working with him like? Well, it's funny, but he really only showed up right before the show. So... The only time that I got to interact with him was backstage. I'm like, here's their names. Here's who they want to be with. You know, here's how the story is going to unfold. And he was such a pro that um, he went out there and ad-libbed and, you know, had his final thought ready. And he didn't need much briefing. I was nervous interacting with him. I was, you know, my early 20s. To, to me, he was a celebrity I would actually really love to catch up with him now, too. Um, now he has a new court TV show. And it's funny because I ended up working in court TV for like five seasons of the Judge Alex show. So I think it's really funny that he jumped on the court TV show bandwagon. Yeah, you followed your lead. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was my lead, but it's it's a popular format that has worked for many. And why not him, right? And it's a cheap way to put a show together, truthfully. Like, yeah, people are filing these small claims cases anyway. And, you know, if you create a show, you can have access to them. They're open record. That's what people don't know, actually, in filing claims, is that if you file a small claims case, people have access to that information. It's interesting. <laughs> and scary. Yeah. I don't even know how, if you were to file a small claims case, how you could get that off the internet. Yeah. So there are all these court TV shows. I would run into other court TV shows as I was combing through the files and I got to be good friends with the clerks. And I'm like, hey, is anyone there today? Because like, if I'm going to drive an hour to a courthouse, I want to make sure no one's there or I want to get those cases first, right? So I had to become friends with all the clerks and get their cell phone numbers and like, you know, check in with them to see when there was a stack of cases. You had to schmooze them. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I guess I was just curious to maybe ask about your own family. You know, if you had any interesting like family members or stories. 
Well, I do do a show with my dad, so right. he is an interesting guy. Um, he ran a company with his parents for 40-plus years, and uh, he hired people out of jail. He gave people second chances. They ran a manufacturing oh, wow. company. Yeah, so they made, like, lighting reflectors. And it's funny because, like, all growing up, like, wherever we would go, we'd be, like, looking in the ceilings to see if those were his lights, you know? And <laughs> he's like, yeah, I think those are ours or... Um, you know, really any state that we were in, if there was anywhere that he knew that he had done business or, you know, there was always a story behind that. So that was cool. Um, and yeah, I grew up with all four of my grandparents in Kentucky. And so, you know, looking back on that now, I'm like, wow, that's not something that everybody has. I knew great grandparents. My parents had me super young. Um, I still have three out of four of my grandparents now. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm very close with them. Getting ready to plan a bar mitzvah. That's pretty crazy. Mazel tov. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, planning a bar mitzvah in a pandemic. but Yeah, that's, that's got to be interesting. Yeah, so my bar mitzvah, I think, was much more showy and hundreds of people. And ours is going to be socially distanced and, you know, close family members probably only. And hopefully no drama. I have, uh, yeah, told my dad who I want to come and who not to come. <laughs> That's one benefit to the pandemic is yeah. uh, you can use that as an excuse. Yep. My sister asked me if I was coming to her bat mitzvah, her daughter's bat mitzvah. I'm like, nope, sorry. I don't think they're going to let me in. Yeah. And, and if they let me in, they might not let me back out. I don't know. Like, it's going to be crazy with travel. And I don't yeah. see it. I mean, I think people are antsy to start traveling and getting back to normal but i think it's going to be a lot longer before things are normal oh yeah definitely i mean tv shows are even doing the zooms yeah that's true yeah be a lot a lot different um doing that type of show now i'd imagine than you know doing it back when you were working on it when i was working on it it was literally living and breathing the job like i sometimes would work 14 days straight and not take a day off I was always available. Like, I don't even know how you could get hired any other way. I mean, I think that things have become more nine to five now, but nine to five is really like nine to seven. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't know how people do it with families. Well, you have four kids. So, you know, I mean, like working a full time job. It was more than full time. But I do also have a bad habit of you know, living and breathing projects that I take on because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> so yeah, um, I care very much about what I put my name on. So I'm wondering, like, could I have done that job in 40 hours a week? Probably. With four kids? With four kids, mm, I'd had definitely have to have a full-time nanny. And that's another thing I thought about too, truthfully, was, and I, I look, I still know people on the show. So I know people do it with kids now, but I'm like, you know, one parent that I know that does it, her husband doesn't work. Like, she is the breadwinner. She's, like, the senior executive producer or whatever, and he takes care of the kids. Like, when you're up against air dates and you're up against, you know, booking people and what happens when it's the day before a show and all of your stories cancel? Or what happens when the network doesn't like 
the episode and you need to re-edit a new one. Like I've been on shows like that too, where like literally the network executives like pull the episode that's supposed to air the next day. Then you've got editors editing through the night and, you know, associate editors or assistant editors, whatever, pulling new clips, you know, Um, it's just, it used to be, I mean, I, it's been a little while since I've been in Hollywood, but it used to be um, an around the clock thing. And, and two, I think that the internet has contributed to that, you know, just always being accessible and people always being willing to be on. But I saw, look, I saw the Kelly Clarkson show. I was checking that out today because I interviewed somebody that was on her show and she's doing Zoom. Jerry's doing Zoom. I, I think that that levels the playing field for even what we're doing right now. Like there are only so many options to podcast, to make a television show, right? Exactly. There's only so many technologies. So if you can get big guests or if you can do a good interview or if you can package it nicely, you just never know what that can turn into. It's all in the hype. <laughs> yep. All in how you sell it. Well, um, I guess before we go, can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, your podcast? Yeah. So Better Call Daddy is... Me interviewing, you know, people of interest, sharing the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode. So um, recently, I've actually called my dad live on a couple of the episodes, which has been fun. Like people have requested that they actually want to talk to him. But usually I interview the guest separately, and then me and my dad have a little powwow after. So... It's just my dad has always been kind of my guiding light and my best friend and who I call for advice. And I wanted to share his wisdom with the world. So he does his like final thought at the end of every episode. It's like the the Jerry Springer kind of. A little bit. A little more wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And there are happy endings on on my show. I, I really just feel like. Um, I want to learn for from people who've struggled and I want to learn from people who have, you know, hit success. And I think that you can learn from all perspectives. And uh, I want to um, create a stage for controversy and for things that others are, you know, afraid to talk about and let them share their voice with us because I'm having fun talking about all these random things with my dad. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. It's a nice way to, you know, kind of like bond with family too, you know? I think my sisters are jealous. <laughs> well, they should start their own podcast. Yeah. And don't use my title. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I need to do a sister's episode. They, they're they like, come on, the big three. Because I have two little sisters. Um, to be continued. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's been great having you. Um, you know, I hope you, uh, hope you wish you and your father well, and I, I hope you have uh, good luck with your uh, bar mitzvah. Aw, thank you so much. Yeah, it was awesome connecting with you too. And yeah, stay in touch. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Would you like to be a guest? Please send a story about your embarrassing family member to embarrassingfamily at gmail.com.